Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we get to explore the human side of healthcare with experts so we can learn how to better help the person with the problem. Today, I am joined by David Clancy. David is a father of two. He's a husband. He's a specialist physio who has ranged out. David, thanks so much for joining me, mate. Pleasure, Chris. Look, glad we found the time, right? We've been we've connected a couple of months ago and, you know, time zones with New Zealand and Ireland, man, it's great that we've made it happen. So looking forward to having a conversation with you today. It is, it is. And I mean, you you do a bit of work around the kids as well. So do I. So it's t- what, quarter past 10 at night here in New Zealand. Hopefully my children will stay asleep through this no. one. Yeah, yeah. First question for you, mate, actually, off the back of that intro, ranged out. What are what do you mean there? Yeah, you know, I've I practiced, I studied physiology and health science, and then I went and studied physio for three years in England, and then I did a sports medicine master's in Trinity back in Ireland, and pitside physio five years, went to London five years in Harley Street with Isaac Kinetic, back here private practice for family reasons. So I've been a physio for long time right since 21 kind of mid-30s now what I mean by range out is when I when I came back to Dublin over two years ago now what we were noticing in the clinic it wasn't just me there was always more so than a knee injury or it was, or it was always more so than an ankle so I'd be treating patients in clinic anywhere through through 15 years of working but I was always curious as to there's there's always more to this and so we were we're all we know as physios allied healthcare professionals you're always part psychiatrist, part sports psychologist, part nurse, part physio. So I felt I'd like to look into this more. I'd like to understand well-being from a comprehensive perspective, from a holistic point of view. I'd like to understand how we can treat a person. What's the human-centric approach to getting people better? So since I've moved back to Dublin, I've been pretty purposeful with that. You know, we founded a well-being company that kind of lives in the world between well-being and performance. I still have a lot of consultancy in, in physio and sports medicine and also, you know, have an online mentoring community now for physios. Also have a podcast, right, about high performance and what makes those people tick. So all those things are very much similar, right? They're all about uh, curiosity, learning, education, meeting and greeting, talking to other people. So ranged out points to David Epstein and his work in that book, essentially that having built you know, a point of specialization and dug oil for a long period of time, I felt a need and I was compelled to look elsewhere and read differently at a time. And I was curious about other things, but still very much have my physio badge. But yeah, I wanted to understand other things, why sleep was important, why nutrition was important, what does Seth Godin talk about, all those sort of things. It's awesome, mate. And like, I, I guess kind of I've, I've had those thought processes going on for myself as well. And, and I'm curious about it, actually, as you start to range out, how do other others in the profession view that? Hmm. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. 
it, it yeah, you know, I even I wrote an article about 18 months ago called Staying in Your Lane about if you really want to excel and be excellent, be successful in any endeavor, any walk of life, right? You have to, you know, dig oil in that space and 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 work in that space and relatively un- understand what that looks like. And, you know, I've I've published chapters in textbooks, I've spoken at international conferences, worked with professional athletes. So I had very much credibility and reputation in that space. Still trying to hold on to it, but it becomes very difficult, increasingly difficult when you range out. So even doing something like a podcast for me, and I'm not interviewing physios per se, or when I'm working in well-being, and that's not really physiotherapy, that's an element of it, it, it might affect my opportunities down the line in terms of high-end physio, sports medicine-specific work, because employers or people high up the food chain might go, Clancy was really tier one physio, but now what is he? He kind of has many hats and he's juggling many balls. Therefore, difficult, right? I can probably go into lots of different things, but my opportunity to really find the excellent pieces of work in a physio space, as an example, might be more difficult. So, you know, there's uh, pros and cons to it for sure. Mm. How do you feel about that? I think about it a lot. I've spoken about it with mentors of mine. I've spoken about it with my dad, spoken about it to my wife. I reflect upon it frequently because, you know, I wanted to be a physio since I was 15, right? 14, injured myself playing basketball, went to physio, understood the importance of it and said, I'm going to do that. I want to go deep here. This is what I want to learn about. This is what I want to read about. But, you know, now I, I think it's fair to say I've I've looked at my dad's career trajectory and what he did. He was a mechanical engineer. Then he went into HR. Then he became an MD. He became curious about other things, read different things, traveled. And I suppose that's what's happened a little bit to me. I got exposure to other cultures and other travels. And I said, you know, willing to try it. But But sometimes I go, you know, you worked this hard to be a physio and now you're willing to potentially let those opportunities slide a little bit. Yeah, but maybe I'm just exploring other avenues of physio. I'm more interested now in education, learning, development, mentoring. So whilst I'm still clinically somewhat active, not as active as I was, I'm still very much in that space week to week. It's just more so in a mentoring and education capacity, which I really enjoy. Mm. David, thanks so much for sharing that, mate. It's, yeah. I think it's a... It's a challenge that a lot of clinicians face is how, like, there's other stuff that I do want to explore a little bit, but if I do that, am I still, am I still this profession? Am I still a physiotherapist or am I still a nurse or an occupational therapist? And I think that's a, that's a challenging thing for a lot of us as health professionals kind of battling with some of those, those questions and battling with some of those ideas. And potentially that's a reason that a lot of people do leave these, these health professions as well as that the, the conflict between holding on to that profession and going and exploring other stuff is, is, is too difficult. Yeah. Like, you know, you come, you touch on identity, right? Like you asked that first question and I kind of it took, I had to pause and I kind of went three years ago, physiotherapists in the story. Now I probably say father of two married, 
and doing a few different things that I really, I love them all. I'm passionate about them all. But yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tough one. It's, it's a tough one, but you have to just find what you're really interested in, what you love, what you're passionate about. And for me, I know there's a lot of things I'm interested in now. And I think it would be a shame if I didn't explore them. I'm, I want to understand what a podcast looked like. I want to understand what the best of the best do. I want to take that in. I want to help more than one person in a room. That's where the well-being angle came in. But I want to stay relevant for sure as a physio for ego, but also because I'm still interested in it. So how can I find opportunities to speak, to write a chapter, to collaborate, to help in terms of recruitment for a team, in terms of performance department? If an opportunity comes up, can I be a physio for a couple of weeks pitch side? Yeah, for sure. I still think I have the competency for it once you still stay informed, right? But it becomes increasingly difficult sometimes. Mm. Shit, mate. That was that was great. And we've gone down a huge rabbit hole that I wasn't expecting straight off the bat here, which is I really, really enjoy. I love a good rabbit hole. But I think that's that's kind of a nice segue actually into into what we want to have a talk about today as well. And in performance at a high level within what we are trying to do as well and your your podcast is sleep eat perform repeat uh, where you get to talk with a bunch of high high performers and people should definitely listen to that if they're in any way interested in performance because it's great but as as healthcare practitioners as well I think that's that's something that we sometimes forget about is the the performance aspect of of how we're showing up on a day-to-day basis with our clients, with our colleagues, for ourselves as well. And I think like what you what you're doing at the moment with wearing so many different hats and having to take one off and put the other one on and switch back and forth probably multiple times during a day sometimes that performance piece is is even more relevant because you can't just show up for your clients and then not for your kids at home as well for sure like we had we had a conversation with johnny owens recently blood flow restriction guy based over in san antonio good friends we go way back he's part of the learning physiotherapist he's one of the mentors and he one of the videos that we accompanied with his workbook based off his masterclass was from Tom Peters, right? The excellence dividend author. And the the talk from Peters that echoed what Johnny was talking about was essentially being excellent in the next five minutes. And I think that's such an important piece. Like that should really resonate, right? Especially what you said, like I have a personal website called Unfolding Project, right? What does that mean? I'm doing six different things in a day. If I don't do each of those things really well to a high level, I'm going to suffer, right? Either my company here, Hawar will suffer. My consultancy physio work will suffer. The patient that's come into my house will suffer. Their learning physio won't get the the, the platform they need for that session. So the ability for us to understand what does peak performance look like? What does optimal performance look like? Showing up, what's our A game? And even if it's not your A game because you're tired or because you're stressed or because you've got deadlines or interviews or, or for loads of different reasons, What's your C look like and how can you ensure that you still have that? And I think it's, it's fundamental for healthcare professionals to understand and build awareness and education as to routine, habits, what are good habits, behavior, what does that look like? 
what should your day look like? What can it look like to really give yourself the best opportunity to be successful as a partner, as someone who's cleaning the garden, as someone who's working with clients or patients? So I would have read Robin Sharma. I'd have looked at Stephen Kotler's work. I'd have looked at what Aubrey Marcus says about owning your day because what is it that I can take into my day so that I don't become burned out, that I can still be excellent, that I can still perform? Because if I don't, I drop one of those balls and that's a problem. So that's such an important piece, I think, for, for your listeners to understand, right? Like, look at what their day looks like. Do they plan? Do they have structure? Do they have time blocking? Are they finding time to read? Do they meditate? Do they spend time outside? Do they dampen down blue lights? Do they understand the importance of cold exposure maybe? All those kind of things can really help us show up at a higher level, right? Which ultimately will help whoever we're working with. And that's the most important thing. Exactly. I guess I'm, I'm curious from, from your perspective, David, I mean, you've, you're really widely read in this performance area. You, you're connected to a whole lot of high performers and you've had the opportunity to have conversations with a lot of them. What are the common themes that, that run through high performance across all areas and how could maybe we apply them to ourselves in this healthcare setting? Firstly, I'd start with, you know, it's a talk that I would have delivered in for Hawara this year, but I think it's it's so important for human beings. Presentness, being present, it, it's it's so undervalued, but it's it's everything, right? It's everything. Like if you can reduce distraction, if you're not procrastinating, and if you're where your feet are in that moment, like what Bowden Barrett says when he's about to play a test match, he rubs his feet along the grass to immerse himself and get into that flow state. That's so important. If I go to the playground and I'm playing with my son, if I'm on my phone, something could happen to my son and I'm not really there. And I think all those high performers have that. They have that ability to reduce all the noise and focus on the signal and lock and load and be totally there, right? Even if they're sleep deprived, even if they're worried about something tomorrow, it doesn't matter, right? And like they're all, they're all, they all understand what the triggers are, how they can get into that space. So I think the ability to be present is massive. I think other than that too, they tend to understand that setbacks, point of adversities, challenges, for the most part are learning opportunities. And, you know, the ability to understand and for physios, nurses, sports med physicians, do we understand what resilience is? Do we understand it's a skill you can train? Do we understand grit? There's a grit test by Duckworth. You could take it. Do people understand what anti-fragility is? Because a lot of these high performers have a setback, but, but for the most part, they bounce back stronger, right? Like Nassim Talib's work, they, they, they super compensate, like strength training in a gym. So when something comes their way, they go, all right, okay, that didn't quite go to plan. Let's understand and reverse engineer and try to make sense as to why that didn't go to plan. What can I learn to get better? And evolve so that next time I'm, I'm ready, you know, ready and prepared. So I think those are two massive things. And, and the third thing I'd say is they're curious, right? They're all curious. Like anyone we're speaking to, Daniel Davey, Rob Newson, Stephen Kotler, Rich Froning, all these guys are always curious about how to understand themselves more. What they do, is it the 
best thing they can do? What does the best version look like? So I really, curiosity is a superpower. Like it's, it's so important, right? You have to be curious about, curious about the injury if someone walks in the door, really have to understand the person. Otherwise it's not going to be a successful rehab. So I think presentness, mental fitness, if you want to call it that, and, and yeah, curiosity, they all seem to have that as well as lots of other things, but those are three big threads. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. If you, if you're okay with it, I want to dive a little bit deeper into those ones and, and actually talk a little bit about them practically and how we might start to cultivate them in ourselves and, and cultivate them as, as daily practices for us as well. Cause it like, it's all well and good talking about this stuff and saying, mm. yeah, you need to be empathetic. You need to be compassionate, but how the hell do you actually do it? So <laughs> let's start, let's start with being present. And one of the things that you mentioned, I'll, I'll jump into it first if, and then let you loose. One of the things you mentioned was reducing distraction and, mm. As you said, like the these top flight guys or and and ladies have the ability to tune out the noise and and get into that flow state, get into that zone. And like I've experienced it a few times playing rugby, where you just don't hear anything else. You're just focused mm-hmm. on exactly what you're doing, and then you come out of it, and then you hear everything again, and you and you see everything, and you're like, whoa. What just happened there? But I think that can sometimes be hard to do in a clinic room when your 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 senses aren't being pushed with a real challenging situation that you need to to apply that full focus to. One of the things that I, I that came up for me actually in terms of reducing distraction and rather than just shutting stuff off to start with was actually how can we go about setting up our environment to reduce distraction how can we go about setting it up so we are more present so things Mm -hmm. like putting your phone in the drawer and turning it on to silent so you're not getting those those alerts happening switching off the email alert Mm pop-up that outlook comes up on your computer while you're typing patient notes you're like oh Oh, bugger, I didn't, really didn't want to have to reply to that. And just kind of removing removing things from your environment to kind of give you a half a step forward. Mm. But from, from your perspective, like how else can we start to become more present? Look, I think what you said is so, is so true. Priming your environment, like first thing in the morning, right? What does your first thing in the morning look like? What does your routine look like in the morning is great. But if you're in a clinic, private practice, been there, right, for a long time, had my own practice before I did anything, before my master's, to fund my master's, I had Clancy Clinic in a gym for one year, hard, but I learned a lot, and I said, I want to do more of this, but yeah, for those listening in a practice, in a hospital setting, in a sporting organization, when someone's walking into your treatment room, yeah, reduce distractions, so before I was speaking to you, Chris, what did I do today, I said, look, I need to be with Chris here today, like, I dropped my kids off, so that's okay, they're not going to walk in, but I put my phone on, on flight mode, like what you said, and it's in my drawer. I've cleared my table, set you know, a page or two of some notes. That's it. That's it. So there's nothing here to take my eye off you, right? So that in itself gives me an opportunity to be absolutely focused. For sure, there's other things that sometimes I will do. So if I have, I had a patient come in yesterday, a stress fracture, and she's like, there was a bit of stuff going on in the house beforehand. I was like, oh, I need to... I need to set myself here, you know, 
she can't hear about that. She doesn't care about that. She just wants me to help her foot. So, you know, I did a little bit of the Bowden Barrett thing. Before I walked in, I've got a plinth downstairs set up. I've got, you know, like a little room set off the side for kind of private work. And I actually put my feet on the ground and grounded myself, right? People talk about you're going out into the grass to take off your shoes. There's a lot to be said for what does that do for our neurochemistry, right? And for releasing cortisol and, and all that sort of stuff, right? But I literally just shifted weight, understood tripod and kind of, okay, all right. Okay, I have to... I have to show up now. I've got a girl coming in in two minutes about to knock on the door. And something I learned, and suppose the Ariana Huffington talked about a lot, was like an object focus. So it's a hard hat. We got it from a piece of work recently, and it's a stress ball, right? But it's essentially a meditative tool. And for presentness, you can even pick something like that. So if that patient was just about to walk in the door, I'd ground my feet. No distractions around the place, right? It's just the plinth, nothing else, Right. And I might just look at that and take the shape of it, look at it, get a feel of it, try to think about that and not nothing else and be conscious of my breathing, like box breathing. And that will just calm me down, get me ready. And then I'm probably good to go. So those are really simple tools that I would do very frequently. And even when I was seeing the guts of 15 patients a day, like back to back to back to back to back, in London, 20 patients a day. There's, of course, I can't be doing that in between patients, right? You've got an ACL over here and you've got someone up on a leg press and someone jumping on a stationary bike. But I would definitely try to think sometimes about, okay, yeah, I'm here, feet are here. I need to be, need to be here. And okay, that person's okay. That person's okay. I need to focus here. So I think trying to find little moments and things that work for you that can center yourself is it is vital. And those would be the things that I do, you know, get rid of the phone, breathing, feet placement, and something just something just to focus on for a touch. It just gets me there. That's what I use. Nice. When you were talking about that, actually, I had just had images of like opening a tin of hot rub and just having <laughs> a big half of it. Just look a bit. Wait a second. I'll be with you in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Clears the yeah, set, yeah. Uh, clears the nose out anyway. Do you do you train your focus with like a meditation or mindfulness practice as well? Oh, that's the one, right, Chris? You've hit on it. That's the one I'm working on, and I've been working on it for five years, right? I've got. Let's talk about the phone. Ten apps on meditation. Calm. Put a calm. Yeah, one percent. Harris got all that stuff. Um, have a bit of a chakra meditation. But actually, no joke, what's worked in the last couple of weeks, pretty new, Wim Hof. I'm all into Wim Hof, right? I've I read the book. I'm intrigued now. I've heard about him. I knew he went up Everest in shorts, but I'm now doing his breathing every morning, even with kids, which is very hard. I'm trying to do the cold shower, equally hard, but I can see why it helps physiologically, mentally, physically. Um, and then I'm trying to do a bit of mindset without a phone so that's different right i've always had a guided meditation and i said i'll keep trying it for three minutes five minutes couldn't stick it as a habit but i've probably gone about two weeks now of literally silent meditation after the shower literally before i'm having breakfast with the kids and bringing them out to school montessori when i'll just take a moment and think all right what's what's going on today what's the big stuff what's what's the urgent thing what do i need to move on what's important how am I feeling? And, you know, it might be a minute, might be 10 seconds, 
seems to be working. So that little that little pause after the shower has worked. It's actually the Wim Hof kind of tripod. I'm not not plugging. I'm not getting commission here. I just it seems to be working at the moment. So that's what I'm going with. Nice. Those cold showers are always easiest to start in summer. Right. You don't you don't want to you don't want to start them in the middle of winter. Right? Start them in summer and then kind of acclimatize to them. Hey there team, we're just taking a short break in the chat to let you know about something really exciting. Podcasts are great, and I'm sure that you're getting a whole heap from this one, but they don't always move the needle on improving our skill set in the human side of healthcare. And that's why I've set up the Art of Healthcare team. It's a safe and supportive online community of healthcare providers learning from experts and each other about how to really up our game in the human skill sets that are vital for delivering healthcare in the future. So when you're ready, we'd love for you to join us. Head on over to team.artofhealthcare.nz to find out more and to sign up. Back to the show. David, if we move on to to setbacks as learning opportunities, I think as healthcare professionals, often we talk a good game about reflective practice and learning from learning from setbacks, learning from mistakes, learning from f- failures in parentheses. I don't know particularly if we practice it that well, and I don't know that our our healthcare systems and the culture of health, some healthcare teams are particularly conducive as well to viewing those failures as learning opportunities. And I think that mm. kind of maybe instills a little bit of, of fear in us in terms of getting things wrong, um, not testing stuff out and kind of almost sort of holds us back and then when something does go wrong, the shit hits a fan and we don't have the resilience to deal with that. How can we, how can we start to, to think about, or if for the people who, who are already good at this, how can we start to think about it or start to optimize seeing these, these points, these setback points as learning opportunities and opportunities for growth? Look, we don't know everything, right? Ryan Holiday, Talib, anti-library. So I might have a thousand books behind me. I've read about a hundred of them. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. I think the sooner you can come to realizing that and check your ego for a minute. Grant Downey, right? Amazing guy. Worked for Man City. Speak really highly of the guy. He would have talked about when he was working at the highest level. When he was dealing with injuries, he'd ask different sports. He'd, he'd go to rugby and said, how can I, what's the best way for managing the shoulder? So he would understand, like that showed huge confidence in him, right? That he, top of the food chain, head of medical, could say, I don't know that. I don't know the answer to how to fix your shoulder because I'm, I'm hip, knee, ankle. That's, I'm a football guy. And this is in a football, this is a goalkeeper but I'm going to find someone that can help. and We're going to get better here together. If you can get to that point when you can be confident in asking a question and looking for help and, and, and acknowledging you don't know it all, that's an amazing place to be. If you're not quite there yet, where a lot of us are not, and I, for one, wouldn't have that confidence yet in my ability, can you find people you can speak to and confide in and run stuff by? Do you have a little bit of a mastermind group that you can touch on? But the ability to learn from mistakes is so important. Like I can remember when I was a pit side physio, UCD, back in the day, ACL rehab. 
I can remember it, right? It was AstroTurf. And I wasn't saying I made a mistake, but maybe it was just too much, too fast, too soon. And the player just, he didn't come on. And I think he re-injured his knee, right? And I, and it's happened countless times. It's happened in London. Happened in London. A couple of people, wasn't an optimal outcome. You know, re-injury, hamstring strain with a, with a PCL, you know, you name it. It's so hard when that stuff happens for us, right? Because we take a huge blow in confidence mentally and like, wow, you know, and that's on me. And you question your ability, you question your competence. Trust, trust can be affected. It can really knock you back. Yeah, you have to, you have to try to get over it. You have to, because it'll affect the next patient who walks in the door otherwise and the patient after that. So the ability to write down on paper, use that as a voice, what happened, use it as a case study, what went well, got get some affirmation there. What went well? Communication was really good. Built a really good rapport here. Really good consistency. Never missed a session. Was doing excellent. In fact, it was a slip. It was actually the terrain that did that. It wasn't really, it wasn't really what we were doing. Actually, the, the multi-directional stability was all there. Should have been ready for that D-cell. So if you can even understand and really look at it critically and pragmatically and give some objectivity to it, that will help, right? Because when we talk about resilience, Harkness would have worked with Chelsea. He would have talked about, we need to apply rigor. You know, we need to be emotional scientists because if we're emotional too often and really it will affect us. But it's, it, it's, such, it's such a huge thing for anything, right? If you can really just find a moment to think about, all right, what happened here? How can I learn? Who can I speak to? Do I have a mentor? Do I have a colleague? Do I have a friend that I can just, your thoughts on that? Have you come across that before? Have you experienced this? What do you think? How can I get better from that? There's so much power in that. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And, and I think as well, it's, it's starting to come to terms. And this is really, this is so much easier said than done. It's starting to come to terms that the, the outcomes that, are created from this are not a direct relation to our value as a person. Yeah. And like, what an fantastic, that's one of the best things I've heard this year, Chris. And um, like, there's a fella spoke to recently, he's a good friend of mine. We studied together and he actually said something really, such a light bulb moment for me. Physios or, you know, we make diagnoses, right? Someone walks in, you know, you're maybe the first point of call and you go, you know what? I'm absolutely 100% sure that that is patella tendinopathy. This is what you need to do. You need to do this sort of loading program for four weeks. Isometric, eccentric, don't really understand, but we'll figure it out. We're going to do a bit of shockwave. You'll be, you'll be better. Return to play six weeks, right? But, but Paul is his name. He talked about maybe we should use the word impression. We're testing a hypothesis here because it might be that. And it could be that. You're pretty sure it's that from having an exposure and seeing 20 similar cases. But I think just checking your ego for a minute and not being sure for all, you know, all the time that, you know, that's, that is what it is, you know, because as soon as you do that now, the patient has an expectation of, a, of an outcome and you're kind of accountable to that. And if you don't quite hit it with a win-win pull, pull both sides, it's not great, right? It's not an optimal, it's not a maximal functional recovery. So this is my impression from the history, from what I'm seeing, from how you're presenting today, from kind of what you've told me from, you know, from the mechanism of injury, for kind of where you are in terms of that atrophy, 
it could be this. It could also be that. So look, what we're going to do is we're going to really put down this program that's going to really make a difference, I think. And that really builds collaboration and education. And, and it'll help you onboard your patient as well, rather than decreeing, right? Rather than this is what it is. This is what you got to do. You're going to be better. I'll see you in one week. See you later in 20 minutes. Because I've been there. I've been in a room with a physio doing that. And I've seen other physios doing that. And that's where we let ourselves down as a profession, I think. So, yeah, I just wanted to, went off on a tangent again there, Chris, but just think there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for that too. Definitely. And I really, I really like that, that use of the word impression as well. And kind of what came up for me then was I had a guy that came in with a knee injury and he's like, it doesn't feel quite right. And went and did all the tests and I was like, feels, it feels pretty good i think it's just a strain i think it's just a strain let's start getting you into things and but because you you reckon it feels kind of weird and he was a reasonably high performing athlete as well i was like oh i'll just make a backup referral to one of the orthopedic guys as well just to check things out so that we can see they can see you in a couple of weeks should we not make any headway with this and he was going along okay he, he was back skiing and doing all of these things and like I tested him out and everything felt solid and the orthoped one of the orthopedic guys tested him out he's like nah you're you're good to go and then he came back to me after a skiing weekend he's like it just doesn't feel right I was like can you explain it anymore he's like no no I don't know so I sent him off to see another orthopedic guy and they they scanned his knee and he he ruptured his ACL what yeah <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. I did not I did not see that coming at all. Talked to the other orthopedic surgeon. He was like, I did not see that one coming either. But that was, uh, I, I guess that was a positive outcome from an, e- an ego perspective for me in terms of, wow, I was, I was really wrong here. The guy, there was no blame from it. And he, he was very happy that... He could just go on. He ended up having some surgery and getting back. We did some rehab with him afterwards. Well, Chris, what you did well there was you showed a bit of vulnerability, right? And you involved a multidisciplinary team and you went for other opinions. So that was good. And sometimes physios are siloed a little bit on their own in clinics. So you did. Mm-hmm. I think what you did there was you showed experience as well, right? You got, you asked for some other opinions when you weren't absolutely 100% sure as well, right? It's good. Yeah, I was probably ninety five percent sure, but that 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 comment that he made, he's like, it's just not, it's not quite right. It's like something just popped up, and I was like, oh no, let's go and let's go and investigate a little bit further. I think we've probably talked enough about setbacks and looking at them as learning opportunities. Curiosity is a big one. I'm super curious at the moment in terms of in terms of a whole lot of stuff in terms of this this human side of healthcare definitely but a lot of other things kind of pop up and I was like oh that would be really interesting that's really interesting that's really interesting i haven't always been that way there was a period of my life probably for 5 or 6 years actually kind of towards the end of university maybe just after i finished and came out as a as a new graduate as well as that i just got into learn the stuff that's put in front of me kind of mentality and and didn't start to explore that curiosity as much as I could have. I think we, we probably all go through periods like that, but I'm just really, I'm interested in your take in terms of how can we 
how can we look to train our curiosity? How can we look to, to spark our ability to be curious? Ed Frizzo works for the Brooklyn Nets, amazing clinician, would talk about, look, you have to learn what's not in a textbook. The stuff that we don't, that the stuff outside of school is, is what it's all about. You have to be passionate you know, you have to have a bit of a purpose behind what you're doing, right? And therefore, the curiosity can come, right? It is kind of, it's a it's a flow trigger, right? It'll help with building in that that state we talked about with even the presence piece. You know, if, if physio is what you enjoy and you like, you'll find it. your curiosity is fed. You'll want to read. You'll want to explore what's in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. You'll want to read the new Bruckner and Can. You'll want to understand what they're doing in the IOC last weekend. You'll want to keep doing that i think there's a lot to be said for trying to look laterally right like the range piece you know don't just go here like kotler again would talk about pattern sp spatial recognition like if you can look laterally sometimes well it will help you build relationships with your patients right because if you're only clinical and really you're amazing with your knee but you don't understand skiing you don't know anything about rugby you don't know anything about something that could relate or bring context or story to the patient you know, so that's why can you build a curiosity animal when you're just going to say, look, I'm just going to I'm just going to read something about cryptocurrency because you never know. I might have someone in investment banking walk in the door and and that will ensure that that patient's interested in what I'm doing with the patient and will stay the course. So I think, you know, staying curious that bit longer, you know, is is really important as well. Like, can you? Can you just deliberately think about curiosity a little bit more? And, 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 and actually, it, it's about caring as well, right? It's about caring about other people. It's about perspective and thinking of other people. It is empathetic to, I actually, um, I want to hear and intentionally understand your situation. Like Marco Nunes works for the Lakers would say, don't talk for the first five minutes. Just, you know, doctors, physios, we always go two minutes in and say, ah, now we're going to do this. But just hold back. You know, you've got two ears, one mouth. Just pause and listen and be, and be curious that big longer, like what Michael Bungay-Stanier would say, and absorb and pick up the key stuff like what you're doing in this podcast and listen and listen. And then that will inform what you say after five minutes. So that's really going to help with your clinical impression and your delivery, first session, 28th session. So... Yeah, look, read laterally, listen to different podcasts, you know, listen to other people, you know, understand other cultures if you can. Maybe look at the newspaper, understand what's going on in the world. Those sort of things will just help prime your curiosity a little bit more. And that's going to really, really be important in a clinical situation. And then just to just pause and, and let the patient tell the story, coach the patient, because more often than not, like you said, my knee doesn't feel quite right. He like he knew what he was talking about, right? There was something, there was a bit of laxity he could feel. It just, ah, it's not great going up the stairs. They can't point in it, but he knew, he knew. So the, you kept listening and you kept on digging and then, you know, you found out. So the curiosity got, got to the result it needed to get to. Yeah, and they're great tips to, to, enhance our curiosity muscles one other thing that i've kind of found recently that has 
almost sparked a bit more curiosity as well as is looking laterally and thinking laterally and seeing other things, but then also just asking the question, okay, how does this apply back to what I do on a day-to-day basis? Like how does this, how can I bring this into my daily work? And like, I know you love habits and the, the work around habit formation and high performance habits. And actually James Clear's habit loop has been one of the, one of the, best things in terms of me helping my patients and the people that I work with implement the advice that I give them. Mm. It's like, where yeah. is this falling down? Which part of the habit loop mm. is, is stopping this person from moving forward with, with what we've agreed on? Yeah. Look again, 100%. I think every single person listening to this, like be that atomic habits, we're clear. Maybe like do Hick. Maybe like, you know, maybe you like, I don't know, BJ Fogg, BMAP, all these sort of things, right? They're all amazing models. And there's loads of other people that have amazing models as well. But yeah, there's there's usually a piece in that habit, right? And habit behavior, right? What's the human behavior? How can we help, not with compliance, but adherence? How can we help patients, the client understand, look, you want to get back playing. That's the context. That's the story they need to hear, Right. Uh, do I have to do this? Yeah, because you want to play five aside in three weeks. That's why this is important. Now, let's just look at what part of this chain isn't quite working and how we can understand to tighten it up a bit. And just that's going to help with sticking to it every day, right? And you get a bit of change, incremental change. Everyone gets a little bit better consistently every day, right? So I think I, for one, when I was in an undergrad, postgrad, and probably the first 10 years of working. Now, all these books, Atomic Habits wasn't out at that time, and his amazing blog wasn't out at that time. I had not really learned or heard much about behavior. How does that impact motivation, identity, and what are all these things? And now there's some lovely, wonderful books, models, theories, but such, like you said, easy to understand, simple, practical applications for you and your patient to look at together collaboratively to understand, look, what's what's missing here? Okay, we just need to do a bit more. Is it a cue? Is it a cue you need? What's the trigger here to make sure you do your three things today that's going to help with your soleus strain? So everyone go off and understand habits more, right? Because if you do, it's, it's going to help you massively with your patients. I completely agree with that, mate. And I, I usually I usually ask people like what should off the back of this conversation what should we put into practice in our practice this afternoon or tomorrow morning you may have already answered that with your, your advice to go and learn about habits but if there's one thing that someone could do off the back of this conversation this afternoon or tomorrow morning what should it be It's such a big question I and I think about that a lot I I think trying to understand why you do what you do. Why you do what you do, what is it about what you're doing that, that, that gives you energy, right? We're all animals of energy. One of our students in the TLP in Italian from, from Padua called Paolo Palacastri, I'm giving you a shout out, Paolo. He broke his right hand recently and he wrote a blog, published it over the next couple of days. And he was talking about how he just doesn't know what to do now. He can't treat his patients, right? But he knows, like, deep down what he cares about, right? He is reading and he understands himself. He knows what's important to him. He knows what he wants to do tomorrow. He knows why he has to fix his hand. 
because he he gets it right. He understands himself at a deep level, so he's pretty aware that what it looks like when he's a good physio. So I think purpose is massive. I think if you can understand why you're doing what you're doing today, why did I bother wanting to speak to Chris Desmond today for an hour of my morning when I could be doing something else? Because I was going to learn from it, because I was curious, because I wanted to learn from you, Chris, because I wanted to help with your listeners to understand a bit more about them. That's why I did it, right? So what is in your day? Why is that in your day? And, and does that feed into the big picture as to what you're wanting to do in terms of work, personal alignment moving forward? And I think, I think all those things, habits, presentness, understanding, recovering from setbacks, curiosity, all that feeds into that. So kind of what do you want to do? What do you really want to do tomorrow? What do you want to do in three years? When you can figure out that blueprint, that roadmap, it's going to help saying no, it's going to help saying yes to the stuff that lights you up. David, if people have enjoyed listening to you and they want to find out more about the, the stuff that you do or, or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you know, I'd say LinkedIn. I'm pretty pretty prominent on LinkedIn. David, David Clancy will find me. Um, Instagram, D Clancy Physio. Not massive into Instagram. I use it a lot for family stuff, but you'll find me. You can DM me on that. Um, and that'd be the main thing. You can listen to our podcast, but listen to Chris's first because I we're both doing great piece of work, right? We're trying to help other people and giving service to others. So fair play to you, Chris. Keep doing it. Um, and I was grateful to come on today. Enjoyed it. Awesome. And yeah, thank you so much, David. I've, I've had a blast talking with you, mate, and I have learned a lot from you as well. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Appreciate it, Crystal. Keep doing what you're doing. And it's it's a, it's an amazing thing. Art of healthcare. Love it. Art and science of healthcare. It's an amazing concept. Well done. That's a wrap, team. I really hope you enjoyed that one. If you want to support the show, the best way you can do that is to share this episode out with your friends, your colleagues, your mum, someone who you think might enjoy it, and to make sure that you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. For more resources for all the episodes, for more information about the Art of Healthcare team, head on over to artofhealthcare.nz and you can find all of that stuff there. The amazing theme music for the episode was produced by my brother Jeremy Desmond, but otherwise you can blame me and my wonderful guest for the rest of the stuff. Thank you guys again so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for for showing the love. I really appreciate you. Have a great week.